I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. On September 29th, FEMA announced an application period for $660 million in hazard mitigation grant funding for states, local communities, tribes, and territories to be used on projects that will reduce future disaster losses and strengthen the nation's ability to build a culture of preparedness. FEMA has offered similar grants for years, but a new grant, BRIC, or Building Resilient Infrastructure and Communities grant, replaces legacy programs that sets our agency forth on a path towards innovative mitigation solutions to withstand the hazards our communities face today and tomorrow. On this episode, we speak to two individuals leading the team within FEMA to offer this innovative grant program about how this program evolved and what the future holds for communities committed to reducing future disaster recovery costs and dedicated to saving lives. So we're joined by the Deputy Associate Administrator for the Federal Insurance and Mitigation Administration, David Marstad. Mr. Marstad, thanks for joining me. Mark, uh, thank you. Uh, this, this, this conversation is just so important as we launch a new period where we're emphasizing moving mitigation uh, before a disaster strikes and building a culture of preparedness that leads to resiliency across the nation. And also Catherine Fox, the Assistant Administrator for Mitigation within the Federal Insurance and Mitigation Administration. Catherine, thank you. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate the opportunity to be part of the podcast. Um, we've been working very hard on uh, developing the BRIC program and super excited to, to roll it out um, and get the word out. So David, let's just start off. What? Just give me a sense of what is BRIC and um, basically, what does it stand for? Well, uh, BRIC is uh, the Building Resilient Infrastructures and Communities, uh, a new grant program that will replace the current uh, pre-disaster uh, mitigation uh, program. Uh, it's des designed to support states, uh, local communities, tribes, and territories as they undertake hazard mitigation projects to reduce the risk from disasters and natural hazards. BRIC was part of the 2018 Disaster Recovery Relief Act, or DRRA, uh, specifically Section 1234, that authorizes FEMA to create a uh, pre-disaster hazard mitigation program to support uh, greater investments in mitigation planning and projects before, uh, before a disaster. Uh, the passage of DRRA provided FEMA with a unique and exciting uh, opportunity to support uh, proactive investment in community community resilience because uh, we know that uh, communities that plan and mitigate their risk can reduce the impact of a disaster, uh, have quicker path to recovery, and most importantly, experience less disaster uh, suffering. So, not surprisingly. Uh, FEMA believes, uh, we believe BRIC is a game changer, a generational opportunity to improve the way the nation invests in resilience. Yeah, Catherine, let's go back historically. You know, FEMA has offered a variety of mitigation grants, um, hazard mitigation grant program to be one of them, which, you know, is, is sort of derived from uh, disaster assistance dollars, the pre-disaster mitigation program, which is uh, appropriated money 
uh, by Congress, but BRIC is different. So let's talk about the difference and uh, what BRIC is really offering here in terms of the funding and some of the important changes. Sure, thanks, Mark. Um, so FEMA funds BRIC uh, by setting aside 6% from uh, federal disaster grant funding. Um, previously, the, the pre-disaster mitigation grant funds um, were appropriated dollars. Um, so Congress would uh, would set that level from, from year to year. Um, the thing that's different about BRIC, it fundamentally changes our approach to pre-disaster mitigation. Uh, we're able to front load uh, a national pot of mitigation dollars um, ahead of disasters. Um, and ultimately, that's that gives us the ability to help communities prepare for disasters before they happen. Um, and so that also ensures you know a more uh, reliable uh, stream of funding year to year, um, just based on uh, what we're seeing in terms of, you know, just as David said, uh, the growing cost of disasters year over year. Um, so now we know that 6% of them is going to be available for pre-disaster mitigation. Yeah, so uh, walk me through the process for uh, communities that are interested in mitigation activities, uh, communities, tribes, states, you know, how is it that they can take advantage of the program? On September 30th, uh, we actually opened our application period for the hazard mitigation assistance grants. Um, that includes both uh, the flood mitigation assistance um, that we've had for several years, as well as the new BRIC program. Um, so we also, in addition to having a uh, new mitigation grant program, um, we have a new system that we've been working to develop, uh, the FEMA Grants Outcome System, or FEMA Go, as we like to call it. Um, so that's how uh, eligible applicants would apply. Um, these programs provide states, locals, uh, communities, um, tribes, and territories with uh, with mitigation funding to be able to reduce the disaster risks that they have um, and try to reduce the impact of future disasters. Um, so eligible applicants uh, can include um, any uh, state or federally recognized tribe um, territory that's had a major disaster declaration in the last seven years. Um, so for this first year of the program, this is actually the first time in history that all 56 states and territories have had a major disaster declaration. Um, so the, the BRIC eligibility is going to be uh, widespread for uh, for many years to come. Um, and then the, the sub-applicants are at the local government level. So cities, townships, counties, um, or other state agencies uh, can apply through their state mitigation office, um, through their emergency management department. Um, with a, a BRIC sub-application or, uh, or a particular project. Um, so anybody who is listening out there, um, the contact that we would refer you to is your state hazard mitigation officer, um, and that can look at uh, the different state mitigation priorities. Um, also look to your state hazard mitigation plan and your local hazard mitigation plan to be able to set those priorities. Um, and certainly, I will tout this throughout this podcast. Uh, you can learn a lot more on fema.gov slash brick. Absolutely. You know, David, as a person who is charged with looking at risk across the entire country, and obviously there's just a variety of different terrains and cities and, you know, priorities here, do we have a national priority for the type of project that we're hoping to see? Um, you know, what what is sort of the vision? Well, Mark, uh, FEMA, we anticipate uh, that brick will fund projects that demonstrate innovative approaches to partnerships, such as shared funding alignments or, uh, or project uh, design. For example, an innovative project may bring multiple funding sources or in-kind resources from a range of private and public stakeholders or 
offer multiple benefits to a community in addition to the benefit of, of uh, risk, uh, risk reduction. We've, we've developed uh, program support materials that go into detail about how projects will, will be uh, evaluated against those uh, priorities. But Mark, if I could, a, a few examples of the types of projects we hope states and communities will develop are uh, infrastructure projects, uh, it's, in the, it's in the bill, uh, those projects that mitigate natural hazard risk to critical phys physical structures, facilities, uh, systems that uh, provide support to a community uh, and its e economy. Uh, another projects that mitigate one or more community lifelines. These are projects that mitigate risk to at least one of the seven community lifelines to enable the continuous operation of critical government and business functions essential to health and uh, safety or economic security. Lifelines are the most fundamental services in, the, in a community that when uh, stabilized, uh, enable all other aspects of, uh, of society to, uh, uh, to function. For those not that familiar with community lifelines, I point them to uh, www.fema.gov slash lifelines and go to the uh, community lifelines implement implementation toolkit. Then there are then there are projects that incorporate nature-based solutions. Uh, these uh, are sustainable environmental management practices that restore or enhance uh, nature and natural systems or processes, uh, support natural hazard risk mitigation as well as economic, environmental, and uh, social resilient uh, efforts. Nature-based solutions use approaches that include, uh, for example, restoration of grasslands, rivers, wetlands, floodplains, reefs, dunes, uh, living shorelines, soil stabilization, aquifer storage and recovery, and uh, bioretention systems. Uh, BRIC also has a, a priority for uh, building code projects. Uh, the adoption and enforcement of building codes is an important uh, mitigation activity that provides significant resilience uh, benefits. And finally, uh, project scoping. Uh, project scoping used to be advanced assistance um, designed to develop mitigation strategies, obtain data information to prioritize, select and uh, develop uh, complete applications in a, uh, a timely manner. Project scoping may result in um, either an improvement in the capability to identify appropriate mitigation projects or in the development of an application ready mitigation project for BRIC or um, another funding opportunity. David, as I hear you talk about almost the 360 of all the things that we can do um, to mitigate hazards across the country, I, I'm really kind of struck by the interconnectedness with lifelines. Uh, we've we've covered lifelines quite a bit on this on the podcast, and um, it's really kind of amazing to see it implemented outside of the response arena. Um, and I think that's just a, a, an amazing way to see FEMA as sort of an interconnected 
web of uh, helping people before, during, and after disasters. It's really kind of an amazing uh, take on this program. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's the the importance of of mitigation and building a culture of preparedness that leads to resilience is uh, so that communities can react more positively when disaster strikes and protecting those lifelines or you know connecting lifelines uh, in a mitigation with reducing the need to response in in, in such a way, uh, but also making the, the recovery period look uh, a whole lot different, uh, we believe is just common sense. Absolutely. You know, um, Catherine, did you have anything you wanted to add? I know we kind of really hit on a lot of the, the hopeful, innovative infrastructure projects there, but, you know, is there anything else that strikes you as something that you really hope to see out of this program? Yeah, thanks, Mark. So um, completely agree with with David's point. Um, it, you know, it, it not only did Congress um, put the words public infrastructure um, and mitigation of public infrastructure into the law, um, but it's something that, that completely aligns uh, with FEMA's priorities around lifelines. Um, but we did get a lot of questions from our stakeholders about what does it look like to have innovative infrastructure-related mitigation? Um, and so one of the things that, that we have done and, and put out um, uh, later this summer uh, was called a mitigation action portfolio, um, or we call it the MAP. Um, and so that's a resource that can introduce stakeholders to uh, various different uh, mitigation grants. Um, you know, we, we put it out in, in response to questions that we got in developing the, the BRIC program. Uh, but honestly, it's, it's an array of a lot of different eligible hazard mitigation activities, um, not all FEMA funded. Uh, in fact, so we we looked at um, projects across all of the different lifelines. Um, we looked at different types of projects to address different types of natural hazards. Um, looked at very small projects. Uh, looked at gigantic, um, you know, multi-million dollar or multi-hundred million dollar projects. Um, so tried to highlight a, a great variety um, of the types of projects that would enhance the culture of preparedness um, and build re disaster resilience. One of the favorites um, that that I have, and again, this this all goes back to to lifelines. Um, you know, we we saw out of 2017 the critical importance of the energy lifeline um, in order to be able to to have a successful uh, response operation um, and to set the stage for successful recovery. So one of my favorite projects is actually uh, from Humboldt County, California. Uh, it's called the Blue Lake Rancheria Tribe. Um, they uh, established a public-private partnership um, and invested in a, a low-carbon, community-scale microgrid, um, recognizing that they're very geographically isolated, um, where power outages are frequent, um, and that they had the need um, to have a source of, of renewable, you know, off-the-main grid, uh, renewable energy. Um, so that powers a six-building campus um, of some of the tribe's most critical infrastructure, uh, their government, their water and wastewater system. So tying in, you know, uh, resilience to another lifeline. Um, it has uh, their event center, which serves as an, an emergency shelter um, that the Red Cross runs uh, if they have of that. So that's the kind of example um, that we hope to see a lot more of nationwide. Um, and uh, we also have, you know, other examples, um, a nature-based solution, as David mentioned before, um, in the city of Atlanta, um, so they amended their stormwater management ordinance, um, and now they require the use of green infrastructure um, on uh, newer or redevelopment projects throughout the state. Um, so that could be rain gardens, that could be green roofs, um, urban tree preservation, forest conservation, um, that sort of thing. So all told, um, that actually allows the city of Atlanta to um, 
utilize uh, the nature-based solution and reduce the volume of their uh, polluted water runoff uh, by approximately 600 million gallons each year. Incredible. So the application period for the first round of BRIC is now open. So it runs from September 30th to January 29th, 2021. So how much is available? And what do the states and communities and tribes and territories, what do the practitioners of mitigation need to know? This year, there will be uh, $500 million available for BRIC uh, with the project cap increase to uh, up to $50 million. FEMA can now support communities with investing in uh, much larger scale mitigation efforts like Catherine talked about that will help reduce natural hazard risk, um, foster resilience, and ultimately reduce disaster suffering across uh, the nation. There, there will be a, a state territory allocation of 33.6 million. Uh, that's up to 600,000 per, per applicant in all 50 states. Uh, D.C. and the territories may apply under the uh, state territory allocation. There's a uh, $20 million tribal set aside for federally recognized uh, Indian uh, tribal governments that they can apply for under the under the set aside, uh, which leaves about an estimated balance of about uh, $446.4 million available in a national competition for uh, mitigation projects similar to the to the to the previous uh, to the previous program. So, since it's a new program, are we doing anything to help those people that are going to be applying? Help them understand the process? You know, things that they need to be considering. Yeah. So, Mark, um, you know, we have done a, what I would say is an extraordinary amount of education and, and outreach to the stakeholders um, from the the very first moment that we started designing the brick program. Um, you know, there's a a secret that I will tell you: um, the underlying law hardly changed at all. What's different about BRIC um, is that we actually embarked on um, a huge stakeholder engagement effort um, early on to try to come up with um, you know, what the, the community was telling us, what the practitioners were telling us about, about the need there. Um, so to exactly to your point, um, this program was designed um, based on stakeholder feedback and stakeholder input um, that helped to shape the priorities. It helped to shape some of the things that we're trying to streamline. Um, it helped uh, generate the need uh, for some of the materials that we've created to try to help um, stakeholders understand the new program and the new process. Um, now that the application period is open, uh, we're actually going to be hosting um, another series of webinars. We've done we've done a few of these so far, um, but another series of webinars that's specifically to answer questions about the application process. Um, we want uh, grant applications to be successful. We want people to understand. Uh, the priorities and the criteria that David talked about. We want them to understand the new grants management system. Um, we're trying to, to streamline that as much as possible, um, but want to get that information um, into the hands of um, the, the local sub applicants um, and then at the, the state level uh, where they would consolidate all of that at the, the applicant level. Um, so we're actually anticipating um, that we're going to see a huge increase um, in the number of applications um, in the, the innovative project types that we see. Um, and uh, really excited, I get questions a lot about, you know, how many projects are there in the country that the people are, are ready to fund and they just need the money to be able to do it? Well, uh, by the end of January, we're gonna have a lot better sense of that um, because we, we are really trying to work very closely with the stakeholders um, to make sure that they understand how to access that system. 
Great. You know, so David, finally, you know, if I'm a member of the public and I'm listening to this podcast, it sounds very much like I just have to turn it over to my community officials and they'll figure it out. Right. So I, I, I'm wondering what does it what does this program what does mitigation mean for the the average American who maybe owns a home or lives in a community or is new to a community you know what what do they need to know and how can they get involved Well Mark that's that's vitally important and you know we we definitely want uh, community engagement and many times that gets spurred by individuals or uh, groups and clubs that they uh, that they belong to so we definitely want uh, that type if we're going to build uh, a culture of preparedness. Unfortunately, homeowners, business operators, and uh, nonprofit organizations cannot apply directly to, to FEMA, but they can be included in a sub-application submitted by uh, an eligible uh, sub-applicant. So your listeners, I'd you know, be active, contact your local government or, or state to apply for uh, grant grant funding, uh, let them know of what your need is to for you to be more uh, individually resilient or your or your business. As Catherine indicated, I'd suggest a good resource uh, is uh, uh, your state hazard the state hazard mitigation officer and there's a list by state which uh, can be found again at our website uh, www.fema.gov and then click on uh, click on grants. But we definitely believe that BRIC is going to stimulate a lot of interest, uh, greater interest in, in mitigation um, at the individual neighborhood and, and community, uh, community level. And that's what's gonna drive uh, the nation becoming more resilient. Any final thoughts? Sure, uh, again, thank you. Uh, you know, we appreciate the opportunity to continue to trumpet the importance of, of BRIC and, and how uh, we believe that it's a, a game-changing generational opportunity to advance resiliency, unlike any time in the 20-year uh, history of FEMA's pre-disaster mitigation grant efforts. Uh, let me close by saying we understand uh, for sure uh, that the COVID environment has caused uh, a lot of financial challenges, not only for uh, for individuals and families, but the communities that they that they live in, uh, nature, quite frankly, is oblivious to the to the pandemic, and so while the cost share is statutory and can't be uh, can't be waived, there are a number of different ways that are non-financial to try and meet that non non-federal share, which is why. Uh, developing partnerships and creative solutions within the boundaries of the law is so uh, so important. So we encourage uh, applicants to visit the website, uh, learn about ways uh, cost share uh, can be can be addressed and dealt with, uh, so that the BRIC program can uh, really get off to a good start uh, this year. But more importantly, uh, continue to uh, get momentum as the years to come as we build uh, a culture of preparedness. So, Mark, thank you again for uh, hosting this important conversation. We welcome your comments and suggestions on this and future episodes. 
Help us to improve the podcast by rating us and leaving a comment. If you have ideas for future topics, send us an email at FEMA-podcast at FEMA.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit FEMA.gov slash podcast.